This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The Mona Lisa. We've all seen it. But have you ever really examined it? It's just a woman sitting in a chair in front of a balcony. She looks vaguely amused or annoyed. What seems simple at first quickly changes into something more complicated. The details slowly begin to pop out at you. Take, for instance, the woman's body. Her hands are folded over in her lap. The hands themselves aren't delicate like many portraits from the time, but thick and well-worn. These aren't the usual hands of a well-to-do woman paying a high price for a fancy portrait. Examine her eyes. The lids are heavy. The anatomical detail is precise, revealing some marks and imperfections on the eyelids. Could she be tired or ill? And have you ever noticed the veil? Yes, a faint black veil hangs over Lisa's head, almost in holy levitation. Now expand your vision outward. Take in the woman's full posture. Do you notice the three-quarters turn of her body, almost as if she was in motion? As if we caught her in the midst of turning to face us. This was a subtle and revolutionary detail for portraits, and Leonardo da Vinci popularized it. Finally, perhaps the most neglected by the common observer is the background. It's a high aerial perspective, almost an impossible one, as if Mona Lisa was a fairy tale queen stashed away in the highest tower. The land has a fantastic aspect to it, a mythic quality often missing from Renaissance portraits that more often than not just featured scenic views of Milan, Florence, or some other metropolis. All in all, the deeper one travels into the Mona Lisa, the more otherworldly it appears. A simple portrait reveals unexamined depths and shades of mystery. Some believe the painting was designed to intentionally confuse and mislead the observer. Others say quite the opposite, that Leonardo painted her in this way to reveal something. Whether that something is a hidden code or message, or simply a truth about the human soul, more debates rage on, constantly spawning off the back of one another, seemingly inexhaustible and endless. This search has driven scientists to do everything from 
excavating ancient bones to seek confirmation of identity, to developing specialized technology to examine the intricacies of the work itself. Despite the complexities of the search, the heart of the mystery remains the same across centuries and generations. Who is she? And what is she? And what is Leonardo telling us? The Mona Lisa comes to us from the dawn of modern civilization. Whatever secrets it might hold, the questions will always be more important. Perhaps that is why Mona Lisa's smile aggravates and stimulates so many. It's as if life's secrets were just whispered in her ear, and the rest of us can only see the beginning of her reaction. One thing is certain. If anyone did know the secret, it was Leonardo da Vinci. But Leonardo himself was not such a simple and transparent man. In fact, he was the opposite. If we wish to discover the truth about Mona Lisa, we must first examine the life and mind of Leonardo. Only from there can we follow his paintbrush to the poplar wood canvas so infamous today. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this podcast, we don't take, we don't know for an answer. Every week, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Claire. If you like the show, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Thursday. While you're there, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, on Twitter, at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com. There are two major questions that drive the mystery around the Mona Lisa that we will aim to answer. One, who exactly was this woman that Leonardo da Vinci painted? And two, what was the reason behind that smile? That smile that seems to flitter in and out of existence, depending on how the viewer casts a glance at the painting. That smile that has driven some to the edge of madness and back. Inventor. Painter. Cartographer and draftsman. Engineer. Sculptor, musician, mathematician, one of the fathers of geology and hydrology, and... <laughs> Well, you get it. To many, Leonardo da Vinci was the Renaissance and humanist ideal. He represented the synthesis of natural philosopher and master technician. In the words of art historian Helen Gardner, quote, His mind and personality seem to us superhuman, while the man himself remains remote and mysterious. End quote. He was born in April of 1452 in the Tuscan hill town of Vinci, his father, Piero Fruasino D'Antonio, was a respected legal notary. His mother, Caterina, was a peasant. Needless to say, he was an illegitimate child and as such received no true surname. After a youth spent an idle daydream, teenage Leonardo was hired by his father Piero to paint the wooden shield of a local soldier. The decorated shield was so beautiful that Piero decided to sell it for a profit instead. It eventually made it all the way to the collection of the Duke of Milan. 
Piero decided that perhaps Leonardo had a future in this business, so at age 14 he was shipped to the Florence Bottega of famed artist Verrocchio in 1466. After a full immersion in Renaissance philosophy and technique, Leonardo was qualified as a master in the Guild of St. Luke for Artists and Doctors in 1472. Over the course of his career, Leonardo would serve as an artist for the Duke of Milan, an engineer and military inventor for the Pope's son, Cesare Borgia, a religious painter for Pope Leo X himself, and a celebrated court artisan for King Francis I of France. His interests and skills expanded exponentially in many different directions. That said, all of these diverse pursuits revolved around the pursuit of pure knowledge. This was the dawn of natural philosophy, otherwise known as the real conception of modern science. In the mind of Leonardo, observation and experimentation became paramount over theory. He was a Christian humanist through and through, believing that the perfect dignity and beauty that existed in Christ existed in everyone. Leonardo infused this philosophy with everything in his life, from paintings to technical sketches. His famous sketch, Vitruvian Man, is a perfect example. The sketching lays out a human figure within a classical framework of ideal proportions. Yet there's soul here, too. That's why it still resonates. It's not just a medical or anatomical diagram, but a piece of art. This came from Leonardo's first teacher, Verrocchio. He made sure all of his students gained an appreciation for the human form, and Leonardo gained an obsession with anatomy. By the end of the century, he spent a lot of time inside the Hospital of Santa Maria Nuova in Florence, dissecting corpses. Leonardo wanted to see exactly how the human body functioned. Instead of making wild theories like other natural philosophers of the time, he created detailed diagrams and notations, over 240 sketches in total. Through this practice, Leonardo's prime fascination became the vascular system and the reproductive system. He was searching for the source of all life and figured these two systems seemed to be the keys. He made some of the first detailed sketches of the heart and its surrounding vessels, and what was potentially the first drawing of a fetus within the womb. At the time, females were considered non-actors in the reproductive process outside of their capacity as a vessel for the unborn child. But Leonardo thought differently. In his papers not published until long after his death, he advanced controversial thoughts about the importance of the seed or egg inside of women. He believed women were the true fountains of life in humankind. Leonardo believed there was a hidden connection between body and mind. If bodies were created in the image of God, were not human expressions themselves divine? Was there not cosmic truth in a smile or a sideways glance? All of these thoughts went unexpressed in public during his life, but they were expressed in his painting practice. This led to Leonardo adding all sorts of nuance to his work. He played with perspective, light, and position, no matter if he was creating a traditional narrative tableau as he did in The Last Supper, or a more impressionistic portrait like John the Baptist. This love for small details inspired something in his historical wake, mystery, and with it, conspiracy. 
There's good reason to suspect such from Leonardo. The most extensive biography written about him from his time period is only 12 pages long. Although we do have the records Leonardo left of himself, some of Leonardo's idle sketches involved early designs for tanks, parachutes, and helicopters. His writings about water's effect on the shape of landscape influenced all study of hydrology and geology to come. A man with a mind like that. He must have known some secrets. Why else would he have practiced mirror writing? Much of Leonardo's found writings are scrawled backwards, right to left. The best way to decipher it clearly is to reflect it in a mirror. It's not the hardest code to crack, but the fact that he wrote nearly everything this way seems that Leonardo did not want just anyone reading over his shoulder. He valued secrets. Perhaps in some ways he even fetishized them, hoping to create mysteries all around him while he kept busy pursuing his ultimate truths. But it wasn't until espionage and spycraft reached the consciousness of everyday citizens in the 20th century that Leonardo's artwork went under the microscope. The 1982 book was called Holy Blood, Holy Grail. It was an investigative and speculative nonfiction work centered on documents discovered in Paris's Bibliothèque Nationale. Keep in mind the validity of these documents and the hypotheses made in both Holy Blood and its fictional spiritual successor, the Da Vinci Code, have come under massive scrutiny. But it's important to examine as it kicked off a new wave of interest in Leonardo as a master of hidden codes. The bibliotheque documents pointed to the existence of a secret society known as the Priory of Sion, a name dating back to an order of monks from 1116 AD. And it appeared that at the turn of the 16th century, Leonardo da Vinci was their leader. Holy Blood, Holy Grail believed the Priory of Sion held on to one truly important secret. It claimed that the Priory was safeguarding this secret until the time came to unveil it in Israel. But Leonardo may have decided to reveal that secret himself. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. And now let's continue the story. While under the household of the Duke of Milan in 1495... The 43-year-old Leonardo da Vinci set to work on his first timeless masterpiece, The Last Supper. According to Holy Blood, Holy Grail, the scion documents of Leonardo pointed to a message hidden within the frame of Jesus' last night. This theory, of course, was truly popularized decades later in the worldwide bestseller The Da Vinci Code. 
Both the nonfiction and fiction book posit that Leonardo used his mastery of painting technique to encode the secret of the Priory of Sion in this fresco mural. The theory is as follows. The disciple, generally taken to be John, is actually a woman. A very specific woman. The layout of the disciples themselves, now so ingrained in public imagination, points out the woman's identity. See how the disciples are arranged like two hills, rising and falling, forming the letter M. Mary Magdalene, the redeemed sex worker who was actually, according to these books, the wife of Jesus Christ, and most importantly, the mother of his children. This was the secret of the Priory of Sion. Why would Leonardo da Vinci, a supposed leader in this secret group, hide such a message in his painting? Perhaps it was a tantalizing joke, a clue left for those who would follow. The novel The Da Vinci Code turns this into a globe-trotting conspiracy revolving around the progeny of Christ. This fiction stretches the theory pretty far, but it's based on the bibliotheque documents. Again, these documents should not be taken as scripture. As we'll learn next week, they may have been the result of a much different type of conspiracy. But they succeeded in one way, instilling the idea that Leonardo was always filling his work with secrets. The Last Supper wasn't the first or last painting to be put under such scrutiny. It was only a matter of time until the most popular of his works became entangled in conspiracies of its own. The nagging question of Mona Lisa's identity suddenly became something much more powerful and troubling. What is the Mona Lisa trying to communicate to us? Known in America as the Mona Lisa, and nearly everywhere else as La Gioconda, the painting has the highest known insurance valuation for a piece of art, currently standing at $800 million. This trumps other high-priced works, like Paul Cezanne's The Card Players at $260 million, and Edvard Munch's The Scream at $120 million. It sits behind bulletproof glass, illuminated with state-of-the-art lighting, inside the Musée de Louvre in Paris. At other points in time, it resided in the palace at Versailles, Napoleon's bedroom at Tuileries, and strangest of all, the nook beneath a dirty stove in an anonymous Parisian apartment. Six million people make the pilgrimage to Paris to see it every year. Over the course of the 20th century, the image has been repurposed in over 300 other artworks and 2,000 advertisements. But for all that, we aren't even sure how the painting came about. First, there is the question of the timeline. Leonardo's first biographer, Giorgio Vasari, wrote this in 1550. Quote, Around 1503, Leonardo undertook to paint for Francesco del Giocondo the portrait of Mona Lisa, his wife, end quote. This is the first time Leonardo is mentioned in connection to the portrait that may have become the famous painting. Note that Mona, in this sense, is spelled with two N's. It derives from the Italian Madonna, which itself became both Madonna, like the singer, and Mona. Only in America has it transformed into Mona with a single N. Yet another case of the mystery woman's shifting identity. 
When researchers uncovered documents in 2005 verifying Vasari's claim that the painting was started in either 1503 or 1504 in Florence, it was a big deal. Finally, art historians had reliable evidence to a potential origin for the Mona Lisa. Yet there are no records or listings about what happened to this portrait he made of this Mona Lisa del Giocondo, wife of Francesco. Perhaps the name was just a coincidence. Yet, perhaps not. There is one important factor that binds Leonardo and Lisa del Giocondo together. A shared history. Our story will continue in a moment, after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now let's continue the story. Lisa Del Giocondo was born Lisa Gherardini in a Tuscan town not far from Leonardo's birthplace of Vinci. In her late teens, she was married to Francesco di Bartolomeo Del Giocondo, a wealthy silk merchant. While the Gherardinis weren't a rich family, they were an old name, an important generational prestige in the Italian cities at the time. Over their life together, Lisa bore five children for Francesco. As far as the records show, they shared a generally stable, middle-class existence. It's also probable that, unlike many May-December marriages of the era, Lisa and Francesco truly loved one another. Before he died from the plague in 1538, Francesco wrote out his last will and testament, quote, Given the affection and love of the subject towards Mona Lisa, his beloved wife, in consideration of the fact that Lisa has always acted with a noble spirit and as a faithful wife, wishing that she shall have all she needs, end quote. He left her everything. This money helped pay for Lisa during her own sickness, earning her a valued place in a convent recovery home until she passed away in 1542. The question naturally becomes, why would a middle-class family commission such a portrait usually reserved for the higher class? Perhaps the Giocondos wanted to make the impression of upward mobility. Perhaps Francesco's proven love was just so great that he wanted to immortalize his wife in paint. Or more likely, perhaps Francesco knew another nobleman from the Tuscan Valley, a certain Ser Piero, the father of Leonardo. If the Mona Lisa was truly commissioned in 1503 or 1504, this was a noted period of unemployment for Leonardo, after he had finished a campaign as a cartographer and military engineer for Cesare Borgia. In other words, Leonardo was a little light on funds, so Ser Piero stepped in to help his son pay the bills. And then, 
Like many sons, Leonardo got distracted. Records show that he grew frustrated with the commissioned work of the Giocondo family, and when other, more satisfying work picked up speed, Leonardo declared the portrait of Lisa unfinished. What the records clearly show is that Leonardo never received any payment for the work from the Giocondos. If this was indeed the true Mona Lisa, it was initially seen as a failure by all parties involved. The biggest disputation against Lisa del Giocondo being the Mona Lisa comes from art critics who claim Leonardo's style hadn't yet reached such maturity until late in his life. This theory is backed up by competing evidence that nobleman Giuliano di Lorenzo de' Medici commissioned a similar portrait in 1517. This was during Leonardo's final years under the protection of King Francis I, who had recently retaken Milan for France. The record gets murkier from here. But first, it's necessary to introduce the final important player in the drama of Leonardo's life, his muse, assistant, and potential lover, Gian Giacomo Caprotti da Oreno. Better known by his moniker earned as a thief, Salai, the little devil. Salai was first employed as Leonardo's servant as a teenager. Although the boy constantly stole from and lied to his employer, Leonardo couldn't help but grow to love the rascal. Eventually, he took Salai under his wing as an artistic mentor. Salai became an unremarkable but capable painter. His true fame comes from his position as Leonardo's muse. Like the rest of his life, Leonardo's sexuality remains out of reach. It's probable he had an active love life, as he's generally recorded as being a very handsome and charismatic man. There is a record from 1476 of Leonardo and three other young men getting charged with sodomy after being caught with a prominent male sex worker of Florence. One of his companions was related to the powerful Medici clan, so the charges were dropped. But this remains our only clue regarding Leonardo's sexual life. That's why Salai comes under historical scrutiny in the story of the Mona Lisa. Leonardo used Salai as a model for a few of his works, most famously John the Baptist, painted sometime between 1513 and 1516. For a seemingly religious portrait, there's something beautiful and romantic about the way Leonardo painted it. In the frame, John emerges from an abyss with a playful look on his face. Much like the Mona Lisa, there's something teasing about his pose and the contrast between the shimmering human figure and the unknown background. In fact, the similarities are such that many propose Salai is Mona Lisa, hidden beneath the identity of a woman. This certainly fits into the idea of Leonardo as a technician of secrets, hiding things in plain sight. The shadows and facial structure of John the Baptist do seem eerily similar to the bemused face of La Gioconda. Interestingly, Salai painted a nude variant of the Mona Lisa titled the Mona Vanna sometime around 1515. This could either discredit the Salai theory, why paint a nude female version of himself, or lend credit. Ever the trickster, perhaps Salai wanted to complicate matters further. Some people think this is taking the Mona Lisa too far. Others, like Sigmund Freud himself, don't even think we've begun to probe the true depths of Leonardo's intention. Typical of Freud, he believed the painting was a vision of Leonardo's mother, Caterina. 
Some of the hills and the bridge in the background do roughly correspond to the Arno Valley in his birthplace of Tuscany, and Leonardo's previous paintings of the Virgin Mother certainly share features with the Mona Lisa. Leonardo never spent much time with his mother after the age of five, and after decades away from her, she died alone back in Vinci sometime around 1493. This lends credence to the idea that he would reflect upon her in this way, idealized and at peace. Perhaps Freud was right to make the Mona Lisa personal, but perhaps, oddly enough, even he didn't take this train of thought far enough. In the 20th century, artist Susan Dorothea White was the first to actually claim that the Mona Lisa's facial structure contains masculine features. Perhaps this wasn't just the hidden portrait of a man, but of Leonardo himself. Scientist Lillian Schwartz of Bell Labs took on the challenge of this investigation. She digitally imposed what's generally believed to be Leonardo's only true self-portrait, portrait of a man in red chalk, on top of a close-up image of Mona Lisa's face. The match is uncanny. While the red chalk Leo has a beard, the shape of the eyes and mouth almost match exactly with the Mona Lisa. There is an easy counterclaim here. Of course the facial constructions are similar. Leonardo was a genius, but he was just one man. It's easy enough to assume that he drew many faces with similar dimensions, be it his Lisa, Salai's John the Baptist, or his real self-portrait in red chalk. Which, by the way, is under dispute as a real work of Leonardo. And yet, it's always important to remember that Leonardo was a master of anatomy. Perhaps the structure of these similar faces contains some deeper or metaphorical meaning. So at the end of this convoluted timeline, what exactly are we left with? There is one theory that brings together some of these conflicting histories. Perhaps instead of just one Mona Lisa, there were two. The first version was ordered by Francesco del Giocondo in 1503 or 1504 and never completed. Leonardo moved on to bigger and more lucrative things. If we go along with this, it's possible that version one was a slightly different Mona Lisa than we're used to. Version two was ordered by Giuliano de' Medici in 1517 and probably represented one of his many lovers. Perhaps Leonardo used his old unfinished painting of Lisa del Giocondo as a jumping off point, but this was a completely different work. So what became of each of these two canvases? There are competing reports of the Mona Lisa being sold to Francis I in 1518, and also being in the possession of Salai at the time of his death in 1524. The two-version theory could explain this. The 1503 version is the one Salai held onto until his death. It was likely pawned off at a low value, perhaps mistaken for one of Salai's reproductions. It vanished without a trace. That would mean that version 2, from 1517, is the one that naturally came into King Francis's collection after the death of Leonardo da Vinci in 1519. This version would be the one in the Louvre today. It's almost like the metaphorical question within the portrait itself came to life. Was it one woman? Two? A representation of every woman, or just his mother? Was it Leonardo? Salai? Leonardo's intention drove the mystery of the painting, and the mystery of the painting drove speculation about the intention. The Mona Lisa became a self-contained universe of mystery, driving people to both innovation 
and madness in pursuit of its secrets. Next week, we'll follow the obsession to full-blown mania, as the Mona Lisa became invested with global meaning. With the research of the entire 20th and 21st century investigating the work, many of the theories from today's episode come into clearer focus. We'll also dive deeper into the work itself, picking up its hidden meanings and delivering an answer to the questions, who is she? What did Leonardo intend? And finally, what's behind the smile? Don't forget to subscribe to Unexplained Mysteries on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Thursday. And next Thursday, we'll continue our investigation of the Mona Lisa. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unexplained Mysteries is written by Jack Bentel and stars Claire Delamar and Richard Rosner. <laughs>